Acts for over a year and a half now. I remember when I uh, first had the idea, I went to Pastor Bond and uh, asked him if that would be okay if I started going through Acts. So it's been quite a while that we've been in Acts. So we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to end Acts today. And then next week we'll pick up the the uh, new series that I, I've already introduced a couple weeks ago. Uh, the 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 letters to the churches. So we're not we're not ending the idea of, of of what churches are doing with as we end today with Acts chapter twenty eight. But this is the finale of the book of Acts. If I could get the the light shut off up here, please. Thank you, Amos. Titus. The finale of the book of Acts. All right, that's where we're starting. Acts 28, verse 11. Remember, <clears throat> uh, we have seen Paul be shipwrecked on the island of Melita, and uh, they have been there now for three months, this, this next verse tells us, and they're getting ready to leave. Acts chapter 28, verse 11. And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. What a, what a, it makes very little of the statement when they came to Rome, but what a breath of fresh air Paul must have finally been able to take. I'm finally here in Rome. When we came to Rome, whew, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there is no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had aught to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect... We know that everywhere it is spoken against. They're referring to the Christian sect, the, the way. <clears throat> Verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him unto his lo- into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, <clears throat> to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and had great reasoning among themselves. But, uh, excuse me, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no man forbidding him. No man forbidding him. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the whole book of Acts, how it is an example unto us, 
as a church, how churches are to behave, how people are to behave in churches, <coughs> excuse me, and how uh, churches, the, 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 the commission that churches are to fulfill throughout the world. Thank you for Paul and the life that he uh, lived before us. Thank you for, for recording it for us so that we would know about it today. And Father, I pray that you would bless this message, speak to our hearts through it, hide me behind the cross, and fill this place with your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would have your will and way in each and every heart and life here today. In Jesus' precious name we ask, amen. Let's go ahead and leave that last picture on the board just for a little bit, as because I have a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a little bit of, of historical stuff to talk about as we, as we get going here. First of all, we see the final leg of Paul's journey to Rome, starting back in verse 11. We find the final leg is talked about in verses 11 through 16. Luke mentions here in verse 11 the sign of Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux. Verse 11 says, And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. It is maybe hard for us to understand uh, perhaps, but every, every aspect of Roman life was permeated, permeated by idolatry. And idolatry even dictated the departure times of ships. The departure times of when is it a good time for me to leave my city and, and, and get in a caravan and go down the road. And so this, this is, is the, that idea that idolatry was dictating to the captain of the boat, to the centurion, What's a good time to leave? And so if we, if we wrap our minds around the fact that idolatry was everywhere, idolatry affected every single uh, point of life to, to a lost person, uh, then we would get to understand a little bit better what, uh, what Paul is going through as he is, as he is going into these new towns where the gospel has never been preached. All that is there is wicked, filthy idolatry. And it, it really is not... It's not the supposedly clean idolatry of, of, of Mary worship today. It, it was filthy, filthy idolatry, uh, bloody, bloody uh, blood sacrifices, human sacrifices oftentimes, uh, immorality, rampant immorality. It, it was a wicked, wicked time. And so it, it, we, we need to understand that as we, as we uh, read the, through the Bible. Idolatry was everywhere. Idolatry affected everything that everybody who was lost did. And then they laid over, they laid over three days in Syracuse. Go back to a map, a map that showed the trip. There we go. Thank you. Then they laid over, they took, took sail, left, left, uh, Malta, the, which what the Bible calls Melita. Melita, that's the, 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 uh, modern island of Malta. And they took ship and they landed at Syracuse on, on Sicily there. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium, the first city in Italy there, at the toe of the boot. <clears throat> and after they had finally landed on Italy proper, uh, then they sailed further up the coast to Puteoli. Regium today, if you're interested, Regium is now Reg- Regio. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I'm not Italian. Regio, R-E-G-G-I-O. You could look at the city today. And then, and Puteoli. Puteoli means the wells. Puteoli was famous for its warm springs. And we also see that the gospel had, in these verses, we see the gospel had preceded Paul. The gospel had preceded Paul and had traveled far and wide from Jerusalem since approximately about 30 A.D. We don't know exactly when the Lord, the Lord was crucified, it could have been 28 A.D., could have been 30, could have been 32. We don't know what year it was, but approximately since A.D. 30, the gospel has been spread. It is, it is now around A.D. 62, around A.D. 62. That last picture said uh, Paul's fourth trip was from 58 to 61. Well, it's, the, it's either the tail end of 61 because they wintered, they wintered for three months, after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria. They wintered in Malta for three months. That would have been uh, September through November. Okay, and then if you read the, as we read the rest of the account, uh, it's still taken him a week here and several days there. It's it's about January by the time he finally does arrive in Rome. So it's about A.D. sixty-two when his trip <coughs> when his trip to Rome finally ends. Okay. 
So, but that's why it, it, it's the tail end of 61. That's why that last picture said 58 to 61. <clears throat> but here he finds good fellowship. Good fellowship. Believing brethren. Verse 14 again, please. Yeah, in, in Putioli, uh, verse 13 tells us that's where he is. In Putioli, he, we found brethren, verse 14, and, and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. Brethren are found all the way in Rome, the, the, in, the, in Rome and then all the way through the Italian peninsula. Verse 15, please. <coughs> and from thence, when the brethren heard of us, talking about the brethren in Rome, <coughs> excuse me, the brethren in Rome, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three taverns. The three taverns. <clears throat> okay? So after Paul's company of soldiers and prisoners had stayed there in in Putioli for seven days, they walked, they walked, or hiked, or whatever you want to say, they walked the rest of the way from Putioli to Rome. Okay? Along the hike, it appears that two different groups of believers came out of Rome to greet Paul early. Why did they do that? We don't do that today. If I have a visiting uh, relative coming from, let's say my brother Darren is going to visit me from Minnesota, and he drives his car from Minnesota, I don't go and drive out to the Dalles and meet him in the Dalles today. But that's basically what they did. We don't do it today. <coughs> uh, but back then... They went a few days' journey out, very often, to welcome incoming guests. This was a custom uh, back then. It was, it was a custom done out of honor for an expected guest. They would send out a welcome party to bring their guest in safely. He's gotten there. He's gotten so far. Let's make sure he gets here the rest of the way safely. Uh, they did this, like I say, out of honor for their guests, but also because journeys took so long. How long has Paul been on this on this trip from Jerusalem? Well, not from Jerusalem, not counting that, but from Caesarea, Phil, uh, Marit- Maritima, Caesarea. There, how long has he been on this trip? It's going on six months that he's been traveling with this centurion. Six months uh, of sailing, three months, three months that they wintered there in Malta. Okay, it took a long time to journey any- anywhere, and journeying was very, very dangerous. So uh, no one no one wanted their guest to fall into the hands of highwaymen in the last couple of days. That would that would be terrible. They've been traveling for six months and then oh they were almost there and they got robbed and murdered. Uh, that, that's too bad. I, I wish we had done something that could have kept them safe. And so they did. They sent out a, a, a safety party or a welcome party to greet them. Uh, out there two or three days before they arrived and to make sure that nobody did them harm on the way to the last length of the journey. You know, after your after grandma has traveled for six months getting to your house, you don't want anything to happen to grandma a day before you see her, right? So that's the idea here. They wanted Paul to get there safely. He's been tra- traveling for the better part of six months. And Paul has one group of believers meet him at the Appii Forum. Appii Forum. That's about 41 miles out from Rome. And Appii Forum, it means the marketplace of Appius. The marketplace of Appius, it was located on the famous Appian Way. The famous Appian Way. Um, and then we see the second group. That's, that's one of the more famous roads. The famous roads going south from Rome. <clears throat> and then we see the second group of believers meet Paul at the three taverns. And that's about 30 miles from Rome. So they traveled a good distance to, be sure, to meet Paul ahead of time and be sure he gets safely to Rome, even though, even though he's being escorted under guard under, with centurions and soldiers there guarding him, making sure nothing happens to him and making sure he doesn't get away. The three taverns, of course, got its name from three, from three uh, way stations or inns located there. Uh, 30 miles from Rome, located at, 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 at pretty much exactly one day's journey from Rome, so that, you know, the last 30 miles, by horseback anyway, by horseback, uh, you could get to Rome the next day. But I want you to notice, why am I talking about these groups of believers? I want us to notice the value of Christian fellowship. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. The value of Christian fellowship. <coughs> verse 14. Where we found brethren... 
and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum in the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Paul? He needs encouragement? The Apostle Paul, the, that, that, that great mighty warrior for the faith, he needs encouragement? Yeah, he needs encouragement too. And if Paul, the Apostle, needs encouragement, how much more do we? Thank you, let's turn on the lights and, and you can shut off the, the, the pictures there. I just wanted us to see where and what we were talking about. Christian fellowship is important. Paul the great warrior for the faith, he was encouraged. He's been on the road for six months. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he reaches Rome. It makes sense that Paul might be a little bit sad, a little bit maybe we could call uh, depressed. He doesn't doesn't know if the Lord is going to... He knows he's going to testify in Rome, but he doesn't know if the Lord's going to let him go on from there. He doesn't know if his life is going to end right there. He doesn't know anything. Maybe he's a little bit sad. Paul needed encouragement. How much more if Paul needed encouragement? You know, we need encouragement. We definitely need encouragement. We are no Paul. I am no Paul. Okay? If Paul needed encouragement and Christian fellowship was valuable to the great apostle, certainly it is valuable to you and I. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews chapter 10. This, This is why Christian fellowship... <clears throat> it is it is one of the primary reasons we are commanded to to meet together and worship together not that the lord needs our worship does god need our worship no god doesn't need anything from us right god doesn't need anything from us why does god want us to meet together and worship him together well one of the reasons Primary reasons is for Christian fellowship. Look at the, this, this famous passage, Hebrews chapter 10. This is, this is the clearest passage we have about gathering together. And what is, the, what is the reason behind the writer writing the verse? Is it for God's benefit? Is it for uh, the primary reason is worship is so important that we better do it together? No, the reason behind it is Fellowship. The reason behind coming together and worshiping together is fellowship. Look at Hebrews 10, starting in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He starts out by saying, it is possible for us to lose things. It is possible for us to backslide. It is possible for us to waver. So we need to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Because it is possible to waver. It is possible to fall into sin. It is possible to backslide. But he is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. Verse 24. And let us consider one another. How's sister so-and-so doing? How's brother so-and-so doing? I haven't seen them in church. I wonder why. I wonder why. Are they, are they doing okay? Are they physically okay? Are they spiritually okay? I wonder why I haven't seen them in church. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Do you see why? The whole, the whole verse is there for our benefit. For, to, it explains that we, we need Christian fellowship. We need encouragement. We need exhorted. We need challenged. Because we waver. And we fall. And we backslide. We need Christian fellowship. That is the primary reason for a church body to come together. For support. For support. One Christian alone... One Christian trying to stand alone, not going to church, but just just trying to obey God and be a, a testimony in the world all by himself. That Christian alone has been likened to a single burning branch. A single burning branch. Have you ever taken a single burning branch and held it up? How long does that branch stay stay burning? Not too long. Not too long. A single burning branch goes out. It always goes out unless it has some kind of 
special uh, fire retard, fire uh, increaser on it, you know, like pitch or something. Uh, but a single burning branch always goes out. It will go out, why, how, or why, if it is not bunched together with other branches. If you don't want your branch to go out, you better put it with some more sticks, some more branches, so that they all, can all catch. We don't want to be that single Christian. Your light will go out if you try to go it alone. Your light will go out. You will burn yourself out. You need fellowship. That is why we come together and worship the Lord together. Every single one of us needs fellowship. Paul needed that fellowship. Paul needed that fellowship. And then, of course, we see that after this fellowship and this this encouragement, Paul finally reaches Rome. He finally reaches Rome. He's given special freedom privileges that other, other prisoners are not given. Uh, he's given the right to, to rent his own home. Go back, please, to Acts chapter 28. He's given the right to rent his own home. And uh, he's basically put, on, put under house arrest. And he can't does not appear that he can leave his home for any reason unless he is escorted by guard to uh, the emperor's you know, an imp- a judgment hearing. He's not allowed to, to leave his house. He's under house arrest. Uh, but he, he's given these special freedoms. He's, he's allowed to have guests. Anybody, anybody he welcomes into his home is allowed to come. And perhaps he's, he's given these freedoms because he's a Roman citizen and the fact that he hasn't been charged with any high crime. No serious crime was laid to his charge. Let's see that again. When, verse 16, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered, he was allowed, in other words, to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Verse 17. And it came to pass that after three days, three days, now that's impressive to me. Notice how hard Paul worked in the Lord's harvest field. Paul has been traveling for six months. He's been homeless for six months. He's not had his own house to stay in. He's not had his own Bed to lay on. It's always been strange beds in strange places. And he finally gets to be able to rent his own home. He, and what does he do? He takes a week to set up his house. And then he, he takes another few days to bring in the groceries and to make his house just so. And then, and then he takes a vacation, a mini vacation, and he takes time off. No, I just described probably what I would do. That's not what Paul did. Paul, after three days, six months on the road, uh, uh, being a prisoner, six months a prisoner, and then he doesn't take any time off. He basically has time to rent his house, maybe go out and buy a stool, maybe buy a table, throw throw it in the corner, and he calls the chief of the Jews together. Paul was busy. Paul was busy in the Lord's harvest field. Just three days after a six month journey of being a prisoner he gets busy in the lord's harvest field he doesn't take time to unwind he jumps right in and that is why paul saw large harvests that's why paul saw large harvests his harvests were based upon the truth of sowing plentifully turn with me to second corinthians please second corinthians paul here is the one that wrote gave us this verse and wrote this verse uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously. Second Corinthians 9.6 <clears throat> But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Do you want to have a harvest someday? You better sow a lot of seed. Do you want to have a big harvest someday? You better sow a tremendous amount of seed. You're going to have to pass out a lot, a lot of tracts. You're going to have to talk to a lot of people. Because most of the time people are going to reject it. If you want to see a large harvest, you're going to have to be very busy sowing a lot of seed, plowing a lot of ground, telling a lot of people in some way or other about Jesus Christ. If you want to have a large harvest. Paul wanted a large harvest. Paul wanted a large harvest. He was busy sowing seed. He didn't waste time. Three days he jumped into, jumped into the ministry work there in Rome. Turn to Proverbs chapter 11, another verse 
that deals with this 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 uh, principle. Proverbs eleven. He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. I don't know about you, but I want Beaver Falls Baptist Church to see a good harvest. A good harvest. I would love to see Beaver Falls see a great harvest. I would love to see that. But I certainly want us to see a good harvest. I want us to, when we stand before God as a church, I want there to be a lot of people that we bring with us as as a church, that we see a lot of people that we bring with us to heaven. A lot of people. We, we have to do a lot of work, though, to see that happen. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. The sower scatters, and the sower increases in the harvest, right? There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that... There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Oh, if we if we withhold the gospel more than is meat, we're going to be very ashamed at the great uh, not excuse me not the great at the bema seat of Christ. We're going to be ashamed at the bema seat of Christ. We're going to be poor at the bema seat if we withhold the gospel. More than is meat. We better not hold on to the gospel. We better share it and spread it around. Proverbs 22, please. Proverbs 22. Verse 9. Proverbs 22, verse 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. And, and when we reference this about soul winning and the bema seat, he that got the gospel out a lot and loved his neighbors a lot and shared the gospel with a lot of people, he shall be blessed at the Bema seat. For he giveth of his bread to the poor. What bread do you have today? We have the bread of life. We have the bread of life. Have you given your bread to the poor lately? Have you given your bread to the poor? Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, one more verse on this. Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. I, I quoted it during my prayer, one of my prayers today. Ecclesiastes 11.1. 1. That's not Ecclesiastes, that's Ezekiel. There is a difference, pretty, pretty important one. Ecclesiastes. I'm going to get there. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Cast thy bread upon the waters. What is that saying? Don't be particular about whom you share the gospel with, for one thing. Well, I'm going to share the gospel with the rich, because we need rich people to get saved and join our church so that our church can really grow. So I'm going to share the gospel with just rich people, primarily. No, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Cast thy bread upon the waters, not the, the, the white water, not the still water. The waters, all of the water. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Well, pa- Pastor, that, it's a hard area. You talked about uh, that fellow from Texas earlier who, who said that our area is harder than, than Texas and they're, they're more crass and they're, they're ruder up here than in Texas. Yeah, I understand. They are. So, so what do we do? How do you change that? Pastor Yant Sr., when he came, he told me the story when he came to Pasco <clears throat> to plant the church there. He told me that Pasco was a really wicked town. And everywhere, everywhere he would go, he would always get behind, get behind a bumper sticker, just a, an immoral or rude or gross bumper sticker. But he said, we got busy sharing the gospel, and we passed out millions of tracts since then in Pasco. Millions of tracts got out in Pasco. And he said, today, there's still not everybody is saved, certainly. The vast majority of Pasco is not saved. The, and Kennewick and the, you know, the Tri-Cities in general. The vast majority are not saved. 
But you know what? He said, there's not as many wicked bumper stickers around as there used to be. There's a lot more people there, by the way. It has grown tremendously since he came. But he said, there's not as much wicked, blatant wickedness before your eyes as there was before. What has happened? The gospel has had an impact. You say the gospel has an impact? Yes, the Holy Spirit, Brother brother Yant Jr., <laughs> uh, was talking about how the Holy Spirit uh, holds back evil. Just getting the gospel into the community has an effect. Has an effect on people's lives. Just the fact that the gospel touched their life, the Holy Spirit does something. I'm not talking about salvation. He does a work and he convicts them of sin. I shouldn't be that wicked. You know, somebody in this world doesn't like that. Somebody in this world is offended by my behavior. You know, I don't like offending people. Some people do. Don't get me wrong. A A lot of unsaved people love to offend people. But there are some decent people, unsaved people, who don't necessarily want to offend other people. And they start to modify their behavior. They don't get saved. I'm not talking about salvation. But God, the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin still. And they change their behavior a little bit. And they try to be a little bit more righteous. See, they're working their way to heaven Remember, they're working their way to heaven, and so they try a little bit harder to be good. The, the gospel has an effect. Our area is very hard. How are we going to change that? Get the gospel out. That's the only way we're going to change it. Flood this area with tracks. Get the gospel into their hands. Not once, not twice, 50 times every person. Get the gospel into the hands of every person 50 times. And then maybe we might start seeing an effect, a change. We might start seeing, Thou shalt find it, your bread, after many days. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Our area is hard, but it's going to, if we stay busy, if we do what we're supposed to do for the Lord Jesus Christ, and stay busy, and stay faithful, and stay at it, we will start seeing some effects. We might see somebody get saved someday. Praise God. We might see some of these bumper stickers torn off of some of these cars someday. These wicked, immoral ones. That coexist bumper sticker. Oh boy. I see that all the time. I'm sorry. Muslims and Christians. Muslims and Christianity. They cannot coexist. It's just, it just cannot happen. Muslims cannot coexist with anybody. Everybody that's not a Muslim is, is, is a, uh, what's the word they call everybody? Infidel. Everybody's an infidel. If you're not a Muslim, Muslims can't coexist with anybody. Christianity cannot co- coexist as, as a, um, it cannot coexist peacefully, and uh, it, it can't coexist peacefully, but it cannot coexist welcomingly to anything else. We don't welcome anything, any other religion. No other religion is right. We cannot coexist with other religions and say, oh you're, oh, you're fine, you're fine. No, you're on your way to hell without Jesus Christ. That bumper sticker is wicked. I want to see that bumper sticker get ripped off a lot of cars, along with some other immoral ones, <clears throat> flat-out immoral ones. we got to get the gospel out. The gospel is the only thing that changes the heart of men. The only thing that changes the heart of man. That's why we participate as much as we can. We didn't do it two years ago because it was Sunday. But that's why we participate in the 4th of July parade. Not that I want to be up there singing to the whole crowd. I'm boy, I'm something. Look at me. I, I really don't like doing that. But we do it to get the gospel out. We do it to get the gospel out. For the gospel to start to permeate the thinking and the lives of lost sinners. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Paul worked hard in the Lord's harvest field. Ecclesiastes 11.6. I guess I, I accidentally lied to you. There are a couple more verses about this. We don't have to, you don't have to turn there. 
I guess you can. You're right there in Ecclesiastes 11. Look down at verse 6, please. Cast thy bread upon the waters, verse 1, for thou shalt find it after many days. Verse 6, in the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. What's it talking about? In the morning, share the gospel with that fella or that lady that you met. In the afternoon, don't stop. You met somebody else. Share the gospel with them. Because you don't know which one will get saved. You don't know which gospel testimony will change the life. Maybe neither one, but maybe one or the other, or maybe both. Don't stop. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the afternoon sow thy seed. And in the, and in the nighttime when you're out and about, sow thy seed. Sow your seed at all times of the day. John six twenty seven. You don't have to turn there. Jesus said, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. How busy are we all the time doing other stuff? And I'm not downplaying working for a living. You know, you, you earn money. But in your downtime, when you're not working, what are you laboring for then? What are you laboring for when you have time off from work? You've put in your 40 hours, if, you, if you're one of those type of workers, so you put in your 40 hours, you go home, and you are still doing stuff, right? Labor not for the meat which perisheth. What are you doing it? During those hours. Are any of them spent for the Lord Jesus? He said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but do labor, in other words, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Paul was a hard, hard worker in the, in the harvest field of, of God. And notice the result. Go back, please, to Acts chapter 28. Notice the result that Paul always had. Boy, Paul was a great, a great missionary. I wish I could be like Paul. Do you know that, that Paul always had the result that you always have? Paul always had the result that you always have. Look at verse 24. <clears throat> this is after Paul has preached and shared the gospel with a big group. Verse 24, And some believed the things which are spoken... And some believed not. That's exactly the way it is when I go soul winning. That's exactly the way it was when we did the street preaching to those homeless people. Some believed. They already were saved. The ones that were from the church believed what I was saying. Some believed and some believed not. I don't know of any of the ones that were lost that we had come to share the gospel with that day. I don't know of any of them that believed that day. Many believe not. We see the same result day in and day out that the great Apostle Paul saw day in and day out. Some believe. Every once in a while, some believe. Praise God. Sometimes you're only preaching to save people, and they believe, don't they? Some believe, and some believe not. A lot of people don't believe. The great apostles saw the same result that you and I continually see. There will be some who believe. There will some. There will be some who, who you preach to who already believe and already agree with God. There will also be always those who don't, don't and won't believe. So we neither need to be surprised at this nor dismayed at this fact, do we? God said, this is, this is how it is. Some will believe, some won't believe. So man, I, I mean, I went out soul winning yesterday and nobody believed. I got cussed out and railed on and nobody even gave me the time of day. I didn't, what, didn't really get to share the gospel with anybody. Man, I, I guess I just, I'm a terrible soul winner. I be, guess I better quit. God said, some won't believe. Expect it. Don't quit. Certainly don't quit. Don't be dismayed. Go cast your fishing line into another fishing hole. Those fish weren't biting. Go cast your net into another fishing hole. Expect this result. Expect people to turn away. 
There will be a, a few that believe, but there will be a lot that don't expect it. And along with this general truth, we are given another truth. Look at verse 27. We can expect some to believe not. Expect that. But also expect something very specific about Jewish people. If you go witness to a Jewish person. Verse 27. For the heart of this people, talking about the Jewish people, the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Their eyes have they closed. Not only is there a general truth that there are many, many people who will not believe, but there is a specific truth that Jews are very hard to win to Christ. I feel feel sorry. I mean, I'm impressed with Brother Lewis, and I'm impressed with any missionary that will go to Israel and, and be there and stick it out and stay there. I'm impressed with that. But I also feel sorry for them. They chose the hardest mission field in the whole world. The very hardest of all. Not only is there the, is there the fact that some won't believe, but God said, and by the way, the Jews are extra hard. The Jews are extra hard. Oh, wow. The Jews have closed their eyes. But there is good news. Look at verse 28. Be it known therefore unto you, unto you Jews, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. If you are a Christian who who only operates on, uh, who only can operate when you see success sometimes, don't go to Israel. Don't be a missionary to Israel. Be a missionary to a Gentile nation. Once in a while you'll see somebody get saved there. You may not see ever see a, a Jew get saved. But praise God, he gives us a promise. The Gentiles will hear the gospel and accept it. This is, of course, what we have seen through the centuries when you look at church history, isn't it? Gentiles accepted the gospel. Jews rejected it. Churches down through the ages are composed or comprised primarily of Gentile believers. Gentile believers. Sometimes they're comprised of some Gentiles mixed with Jews, right? Mixed with Jewish blood. Gentiles mixed with Jewish blood. But there's some Gentile blood that was accepting of, of the gospel, wasn't there? Amen. Very few Jews come to Christ. Very few. But Paul was a hard, hard worker. He set an example for us. We are to be hard workers. And let's see, see now, as we conclude the book of Acts, let's see some conclusions, some conclusions from the book of Acts. Here's some historical concluding information for you. We are told in verse 30, Let's read verse 30 again. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. So he spent two years in Rome at this time, from about A.D. 62, the beginning of it, until either the end of A.D. 63 or the beginning of A.D. 64, somewhere in there. It was during these two years that the book of Acts, this book that we have are finishing up, during these two years that this book was likely written, with Luke still working with Paul. Also during this, this first imprisonment, which started, remember this, this imprisonment started uh, not six months ago. It started four years ago, right? Four years ago. He was in prison uh, uh, for two years in Rome, and then he was in prison for two years back in Caesarea. And there was also a six-month travel period. So he, by the time this imprisonment is over, he's been in prison for at least... You know, he's been a prisoner for at least four years and six months. A long time of life that he, God put him in, in prison there. But he, they wrote the book of Acts together uh, with Luke as the primary writer. Also during this time, uh, Paul wrote the New Testament books of Philippians, which could have been back in, in Judea. Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. <coughs> excuse me, Philemon. And then Paul was released... In about A.D. 64, spent another year or two traveling and preaching. Probably he went to Spain. Probably. Because that was where he intended to go after visiting Rome. Turn with me to Romans 15, please. Romans 15. He told the Roman people that after I have visited you, I intend to go to Spain. And that is probably what happened when he was released. 
Romans 15, verse 24. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. So this is backwards. He came to them uh, first, primarily. For I trust to see you in my journey, you Romans, and be brought on my way to Spain thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. So he intended to go to Spain. Uh, and the book of Romans, by the way, was wrote about five years prior prior to uh, when he arrived in Rome. Five years prior to when he arrived in Rome. So there was a, a church in Rome for a good, a good amount of time. Five, six, seven years, perhaps. He wrote Romans about A.D. 57. A.D. 57. <coughs> then back the same year that Paul was released... He arrives in Rome in AD 62-ish, 61-62. He's in prison for two years there, and he's released about AD 64. And in July of AD 64, Rome burns. Rome burns. Possibly, it was possibly started by wicked Nero, but whoever started it, the burning was blamed on Christians. Hence, Christianity was outlawed, and Christian evangelism became punishable by death in AD 64. And sometime later, after 64, Paul was again caught and imprisoned by the Romans, taken to Rome, was sitting there in a Roman prison. He wrote 2 Timothy during his last imprisonment, and then he was beheaded in A.D. 67 or 68, probably 68, the last year of Nero's reign. And this, this is all commonly believed, commonly believed and written about by the Christians in the early centuries, Today we still have the writings of Clement and Eusebius, Eusebius, who both talk about these events. Those are the historical conclusions that happened right after Acts. Now let's look at some spiritual conclusions from Acts. Spiritual conclusions from the Acts of the Apostles, or we could say the Acts of Jesus Christ through his Apostles. This book has been about about what Jesus did through the Apostles. We see very clearly the main theme of Christianity all the way through Acts. The main theme is this. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of God. He has died for man's sins and he has risen from the dead. Because of that, he now offers the gift of eternal salvation through the price of his blood. To every sinner who hears the gospel, repents and believes. You must hear the gospel to be saved. We have to tell them, Christian. We have to tell them they can't be saved out of the clear blue sky. They must hear the gospel to be saved. Salvation, the theme of of Acts, salvation is by God's grace alone through the atonement of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then another conclusion from the book of Acts. The gospel of Christ is entrusted to the apostles. No. The gospel of Christ is entrusted to the churches. The churches. The gospel of Jesus Christ is entrusted to us. Wow. It's entrusted to us and is we are supposed to preach it to the nations until the end of the age. What a trust. Have you ever thought about how important of a job we have? Jesus entrusted his news to us. That means Christianity in this area might die out if we don't do our job. What would have happened in the in the first century if that Jerusalem church said, eh, I'm saved. And I'd, I'd be more comfortable just keeping my mouth shut. You and I wouldn't be saved today, would we? the gospel would have pretty much just died. God would have had to do some major spanking to that church to get them on the move, and that may be why he did have persecution there. He got them on the move. But if Christians don't open their mouth and share the gospel, the gospel dies out. The gospel dies out. We are entrusted. We would, could, would fail in our trust. According to 1 Timothy 3.15, our church, not another church, the other true churches are, but the emphasis is is on each individual church. According to 1 Timothy 3.15, our church, Beaver Falls Baptist Church, is 
The church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That is a very important trust. Very important trust that you and I have been given. We had better not fail in that trust. We have a big job to do. Spread the gospel so that the gospel does not die out in the next generation when you and I are gone. In Clatskin, Oregon. And beyond, and beyond. The third spiritual conclusion from Acts. The New Testament church is God's instrument. It is God's instrument for for the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this age. The New Testament church. The Great Commission. Let's go there, please. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. The Great Commission is the primary work of the church. The Great Commission is the primary work of the church. If you want to be involved in the work of God, then you get yourself involved in the Great Commission. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them... There's discipleship right in there. Discipleship. You don't have to just preach the gospel to the lost. You teach all of all the people you preach to, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Christian, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is the primary, numero uno, the most important work of the church today. Spreading the gospel and discipling believers. Spreading the gospel in our Judea, in our Jerusalem, then in our Judea, then in our Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, the book of Acts talks about. That is our great commission. That is why it's called that. Those are the spiritual, the primary conclusions from Acts. Then there are a couple secondary conclusions. Something that we notice as... The the apostles went from city to city and they planted church after church. Something that we noticed, but I didn't really bring out at the time. But you can see it when you read the whole book of Acts in in one piece. As scriptural truth spread and churches were established, what also came with them? Every time a church was established, every time uh, God's kingdom was furthered, Satan went to work. And along with the, the true churches, scriptural error and heresies and their leavening also accompanied the spread of the churches. A new church was spread, was established. Some heresies rose up. Satan was at work wherever God was at work. Satan will always corrupt God's work. We have a work to do for God. Satan wants to corrupt it. Satan is, is busy today, has been busy, and will be busy tomorrow in this church. Satan wants to corrupt God's work. That is his primary goal. Stop God's work. Ruin it. Mess it up. Get as many people as I can into hellfire with me. That's Satan's work. Wherever God is at work, you can be sure the devil is working there too. The devil is working there too. Definitely. You can write it down. Apostasy continued to increase. Even as the churches increased. Apostasy increased. And it increased after the death of the apostles. And it's still increasing today. And a few hundred years after the apostles were dead... The false churches ended up... Now, how did there become a false church? Well, there was a true church established, and then apostasies arose up in the church, in that church. And the church swallowed that apostasy and went astray and became... A true church became a false church. Okay? And a few hundred years after the apostles had all died, false churches outnumbered the true churches, the ones who were staying true to the Word of God. And the result of that was the formation of the Roman Catholic Church. The Bible tells us, But evil men and seducers shall, shall, shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It also tells us, For the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Wow. we got to stay as busy as the devil to stay on top of that. The fact, here's an interesting conclusion from that, the fact that sound churches, have you ever thought about why we have a sound church today? What did God have to do throughout the ages and throughout time from Jerusalem's time, the, the, the apostles' time, what did God have to do all the way through history to be sure there was Beaver Falls Baptist Church here today? The fact that sound churches continue to exist in the world today, after all of the centuries of persecution, the centuries of false teaching, centuries of sin, compromise, the fact that we even do have good churches today, that's a miracle. That is a miracle of God. It's a fulfillment of God's promises, a direct fulfillment. You say, I don't, I've never seen God fulfill one of His promises Have you seen a good church? You saw God fulfill his promises. Matthew 28, 18 again. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. God is here today. Christ is here today. He is keeping his promise. The fact that this church loves and serves God properly is a fulfillment of those promises. Go with me to Matthew 16. uh, Yeah, Matthew 16, please. For a second I thought I saw Mark. Matthew chapter 16. The other promise that God, that Christ, directly fulfills every time you see or step into a good, godly church This is the other promise that God has fulfilled before your eyes. Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 18. Jesus replies to Peter in verse 18. And Jesus says, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, a little stone, and upon this rock, the rock that Peter referred to, the rock that the great solid truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, upon that rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the promise. Every time you see or enter into a good godly church service, you are seeing before your very eyes a miracle of God, that God kept a 2,000 year old promise. My church will be in existence when I come back. There will be true churches still in existence. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Even unto the end of the age, Mark says, I believe it is. One of the other gospels says, the age. When this age, when Jesus, the rapture of the church happens and this age ceases, God said at that point, there will be churches. I have promised it, there will be good churches. What are you and I doing for the cause of Christ? There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of gospel that needs to be spread. There's a lot of effect that the gospel must have in people's lives. We're still seeing wicked bumper stickers. When you knock on a door, you still get cussed out before you can even say hello sometimes. They open the door, blankety blank. Get off, get out of here. I could be your neighbor bringing you your long lost mail that came to my house. You don't even know who I am yet. There's a lot of effect that the gospel needs to have in people's lives. People need to be saved. They're on their way to a devil's hell. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Acts, for showing us our job, for making it plain before our eyes. We are entrusted as a church of Christ, of Jesus Christ today, a true church. We are entrusted with the gospel of Christ. It is our job, not somebody else's job. It is our job 
to get the gospel out. And that gospel can and could and should have an effect in our neighborhood, in our towns, in the cities around us, in the countryside. It could and it should have an effect. But it's up to Christians, it's up to us to get it out there. So Father, would you help us to be faithful? Would you speak to hearts today? If there's somebody here that has uh, not been faithful, not been sharing the gospel, would you speak to that heart? Help them, Lord, to see their, the need to be obedient to you. Lord, if there's somebody who's been being faithful, but, but they're, they're wavering, they've been discouraged, would you encourage them today to keep on, keep on keeping on and keep on being faithful to get the gospel out? Lord, you know the hearts of each one that is here today. Would you do a work? Would you meet the need? As we sing this invitation, in Jesus' precious name I ask, amen. Let's stand together, please.